Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. many times from the time I first heard it that um, one of the saddest things that could ever happen to us of course in eternity would to be stood beside the person that we could have been Uh, I found that very convicting when I heard that and uh, I want I want to endeavor with everything that's inside of me to tap into the depth of the well that God has in store for me personally and for my family and for this church. Amen. I believe that uh, we have a lot of things in the Lord that we have never, ever discovered. For those of you who use computers and computer programs, you probably would be willing to admit that a scant few people uh, that own these kind of devices and certain apps and and, uh, programs that we use sometimes even every day, we scarcely just touch the surface of what many of those things will do and they have the capacity to do. I have a Bible program that I will admit to you that is much deeper than I and um, I just take time from time to time to just sit down and watch some tutorial and training videos and I'm just always amazed at what was just a click away. I was going here and here and here and here and here and here and here. And uh, I like one trainer in particular, which he shares a lot of things that he calls power user shortcuts. And I wanted to be a power user. And uh, those power user shortcuts are amazing. And it was there all the time. And that's my point is that, you know, they didn't just download that this morning. It has been there from the day that I purchased the program, the ability. And uh, tonight I want to talk about some of the things that we have in the Lord. And um, and if we can, let's just make the journey together. What do you say? I mean, we defend as, as a nation. We certainly defend our freedoms in a number of ways. And I believe that we do that even individually. I think we should guard our personal freedoms. And we should, uh, if we're going to guard our personal freedoms, I think we ought to guard our spiritual freedoms as well. The good news of the New Testament or the New Covenant is that we have been set free to live within the power of Christ, not just within our own power, but we have a much deeper well that we are tapping into, a much deeper resource. And uh, I, I'm grateful for that. Romans, Paul said in, uh, to the church at Rome in Romans 8 and 2, he made this reference. He said, and we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, we quote that portion a lot. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. But the word and is there. We've been set free from the law of sin and death and 
given a new life to be lived by faith through his glorious grace. We haven't just been set free from the law of sin and death, but we've also been given a new life. We've been given something in the Lord that we can move forward with. And uh, that's what I want to, with the help of the Lord, I want to talk about that. I feel that sometimes people are, myself included, we are living below where we should be in the Lord, unaware of what's really there, what God really wants to do. Now, if I could just go back to Sunday for a moment. We had a tremendous service, a powerful, my goodness, just a great move of the Lord. And I don't want to say this to frustrate what we all experience Sunday, but I, I just have to ask, was that all? Or was there more? Amen. I, I don't say that to create spiritual frustration. I say that for us to understand that there's resources beyond what we are, we are, I don't think Sunday we were somehow tapping on the bottom of the barrel and we were scraping rock by any stretch of the imagination. In, in our text, Paul points to our freedom in the Lord and he lets us know that something, I think, of the length and the breadth and the size of that freedom and he reminds us that we've been set free from many things. I want to talk about just a few of those things tonight. This is not an exhaustive list. I don't have that capacity, but I do want to talk about some things that we've been set free from. I'm going to be reading in the New, in the New King James Version uh, just to kind of maybe simplify a little bit of this. The Bible says in verse number 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, you know, I can't talk to you about the Kiwanis Club and uh, can't talk to you about the Rotary Club and can't talk to you about a lot of clubs because I've never belonged to them. But I can talk to you about the church because I've been in the church and around the church my whole life. And so I feel qualified, if you will not think I'm being arrogant, but I do feel qualified to talk about the church. And sadly, sometimes within the Christian community, there exists a judgmental spirit. Now, I know most of the time it is so shrouded and so camouflaged, you can rarely ever sense its presence. But there is a judgmental spirit. I found sometimes people scrutinizing my behavior, comparing my behavior to their behavior, more, more specifically comparing my behavior or your behavior. I'll just talk about me. I may not offend me, but I talk comparing my my behavior against their personal standard or their personal conviction that they want me to live up to. Did you find yourself in that description at all? That spirit of judgmentalism. And sometimes you hear people that profess to be born again talking about other people in a negative way and perhaps putting them down for something that they did or something that they failed to do. And so what happens is when, that, when people become legalistic in their approach, you can count on it. They always become judgmental in their attitude. And so when we have a legalistic approach to something, on the heels of that is the development or the groundwork, a seedbed of a judgmental attitude. And it's easy, please hear me, it is very easy to adopt a legalistic approach. It is very easy to be judgmental. I say that because I have experienced it. I have been judgmental. I have criticized the actions of other people 
Please be seated. I have misunderstood the motives of others around me. And oftentimes I have given birth to things in my spirit that frankly I had to go pray out because of the way I was approaching something. And so as a child of good God, I believe with all of my heart that we should be obedient to him and without a doubt we should seek to hear his voice and we should certainly seek to follow wherever he leads. I believe that with all of my being. And as born again believers, I believe that we ought to be concerned about righteousness and that we, when we ought to be concerned about righteous behavior or right behavior. For example, I believe that there's not, I believe every parent in this room and beyond, I believe would want our children to learn and, and understand and even embrace the values of honesty and integrity. I believe we want them to do things that are right, not just when they're children, but we want them to do right in their adolescence and then their young youth and, and we want them to do right as young adults. All throughout their life, we hope that they follow that consistent conduit of righteousness and integrity. We want them to become good parents themselves and have good reputations among their own peers. We would all desire that. I think we understand the need to stand for righteousness and certainly the need to let our voice be heard after all, if we don't stand up for what's right, I ask you, who will? Who will? I don't think you're going to find people just in the secular world at large that are going to stand for what's right because we're embracing things as a nation that quite frankly many of us in this room never thought we'd live long enough to see in America. We never thought that. And so the problem is not that we stand for righteousness. I believe the problem becomes how we stand for righteousness. And it comes down to our attitude about unrighteous things and unrighteous people. Now the Bible is clear that in everything we should operate by the principle of love because charity covers a multitude of sin. doesn't hide sin, doesn't ignore sin, doesn't refuse to deal with sin. But charity makes room for those things. We're told in Ephesians 4 and 15 that we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. Amen. I, I marvel. I am always, I always marvel in the presence of people that can speak the truth so direct and yet with such a measure of love, and I'm thankful for that. There's nothing wrong with being angry over unrighteousness in the world, but I believe that our hearts should be broken about people who have been destroyed by that unrighteousness. We should be angry about unrighteousness, but we should be broken by all the lives that are just tattered and the families that are strewn about over what unrighteousness, the effect that unrighteousness has had upon their lives. And so we think when we move from love, I believe uh, when we move from love and compassion to, to self-righteous judgment, we have become, I believe, unrighteous ourselves. I will tell you that, but for the grace of God, and I may opt to say this a few times tonight, but for the grace of God, there go I, the grace of God. And so that doesn't mean that we condone sin. It doesn't mean that we excuse sin. I will tell you more than once, more than probably I, I would be comfortable admitting. Uh, I don't have a list. I don't have a number. But I know that many times through the years of pastoring that, that I feel like my wife and I have talked about this openly, that we have come to the brink of compromise trying to salvage a soul. 
I'm well aware, whether I heard it or not, I'm well aware that somebody in the audience has got their eyebrows raised and they're wondering, I wonder if they know. And we did know. But we were moving with grace and compassion to try to salvage a soul. We were un, we were uh, un, we were unhappy about unrighteousness, of course. Amen. But what I was more unhappy about was what unrighteousness was doing in the life of that individual, and we were trying to reach them through grace. Amen. So I believe that we should reach with everything that we have for those that are in the bondage of sin. The attitude of the church towards sin, I think, has everything, or it should have everything to do with perspective. Now, that's an incredible word, perspective. By the same time, perspective has a whole lot to do with the word maturity. Perspective is a a powerful word, but when you link perspective to maturity, the complexion of things can change exponentially. Because without maturity, we lack perspective. And so I say this with great deference to all of our youth tonight, but a person that is less mature is, is un, they're unable to see things from someone else's point of view. It takes just living a few years and growing up and maturing to be able to see things from a different perspective. If we just could use for an example tonight the scriptural um, story of the woman who was caught in the, in the very act of adultery. And so when this woman was taken to the Lord in the temple and... and um, and, and they're wanting the Lord to judge her according to the law of Moses. You need to do something about this. And so they throw down the gauntlet. You're familiar enough with the story. I can just go from there. And the Bible challenged the people that were there. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I want you to consider from this story with me the book of John chapter 8 and verse 9. So we're just going to take a little pencil knife and slice out just a little bit of this because this is what I want. John 8 and 9, And they which heard it, they that were standing there in the crowd, they which heard him say, He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, not what he said, but by their own conscience, went out one by one, And look at this next line. Beginning at the eldest, even unto the least, or even unto the last. And so my point in reading that scripture to you tonight is found in this one verse, this one line. The oldest people in the crowd were the first people to drop the stone. And the reason for that was maturity brought perspective. And so they got caught up in the moment. And we've all been caught up in a moment. And they followed the crowd into the temple. And they themselves had blood on their mind and blood on their hands nearly. And then the Lord said, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. The maturest people in that group said, he has a point. (laughs) Somebody that had never been there only had memorized a few lines of the law of Moses, said, she ought to die. Some of the older ones in there would say, you know what? I got supper on the stove. I got, I got, 
I got to get back. I got to tend the fire. I got to do. We got to change. We got to do something. And maturity gave them perspective. And I believe that we need to understand the power of the grace of God. Because without the grace of God in our lives, anyone here could be in any situation that we read about or hear about in life. And I would just beg of this audience tonight or anybody that would ever hear this message, don't ever think that you're too good or that you are too strong to find yourself in any condition that is in this world because the Bible says, and such were some of you, and such were some of you. And so we look around and our world seems pretty calm. We say, well, that's not me tonight, but you don't know who it could be tomorrow. You don't know where you could be tomorrow or you don't know what might be played out in the lives of your children. And don't stop praying for your children just because they turn 18. Amen. Or just because they move out of the house or get married. Because, amen, we need the power of God to help us and strengthen us. Amen. The bottom line is this. As we grow in Christ, we really should grow in grace. And the older we are, I'm I'm just not talking about overlooking sin, but I believe the more grace we should have. Often you'll find people judging one another because they're not living up to a certain thing that they believe in. And that's what Paul had in mind in this text. And we're told not to let anyone judge us regarding certain things. So Paul reaches back into the Old Testament. And and so for the church at Colossae, he pointed out two concerns. And those two concerns had to do with diet and special days. There was some teaching that in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ that you must observe certain ceremonial Jewish regulations concerning your diet or the observance of holy days. But Paul pointed out that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the old covenant. He says that all these things really are just a shadow of the reality that is to be found in Jesus Christ. And that was our text. For the Jews, these laws were given simply and merely to point to the coming of Jesus Christ. The laws concerning diet reminded them to be pure and to be be the difference between clean and unclean and pure and impure. Festival days spoke about some of the aspects of Christ's character and his work. For instance, the Passover celebration was symbolic as Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And Sabbath days spoke of the coming rest that we would all enjoy in Jesus Christ. And so I believe as Christians we are now called to live by the new covenant. Now stay with me. That doesn't mean that we believe that the Old Testament is not the inspired and inerrant word of God because we certainly do. However, we believe that the new covenant revealed a new way of living that fulfills the old. And so I want to be emphatically clear I want to really be emphatically clear. Some people would take this to mean that the church should no longer preach about holiness or a measure of separation or dedicating ourselves to the word, the work, or the will of God. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because when Jesus came, he didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. And I'm going to be specific because we're going to go through a few scriptures here tonight. He He didn't lower the line. He raised the line. Amen. And so listen to the words of Jesus now in Matthew 5 and 21. The Bible says, and we're going to capitalize on these three first three words because, and, and uh, we're going to capitalize on them and, and a few other words in the next verse. The Bible says here, ye have heard. Amen. That 
you have heard. That's important. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill is in danger of the judgment. And then he follows that by saying, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. So the old covenant said you just can't kill, but Jesus said, but I'm telling you that if you're angry with your brother without cause, that you're in jeopardy of the same thing. So it doesn't sound like to me he came to lower the line, but he raised the line. Matthew 5, 27, ye have heard, there's those words again, that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Wow. 38 and 39, ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's old covenant, new covenant. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We're doing away with the eye for eye and the tooth for tooth. And I'm telling you, if they smite you, turn the other cheek. 5 and 43, the Bible says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. You know, he could have quit lowering the line just at any one of those, you know. But he just kept... And so we've been set free to live for Christ and we are free to do anything and everything that we can in him and we've also been set free from the spirit of mysticism and we're going to go back to Colossians 2 and we're going to read verses 18 and 19 let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Now, those in Colossae were teaching a certain kind of mysticism and I want to tread carefully, but I want to tread firmly. I don't believe that all mysticism is bad. I think that it can be good and indeed I believe is necessary. Our relationship with the Lord is not just a relationship built on intelligent understanding or academic learning of the Word of God. I don't believe that we just approach the Word of God from an academic point of view. It's, it's what I'm trying to drive home. We don't just try to sit down and say, you know, I just want to understand with my own intellect what this verse says or what this book says. Amen. I, I hope that we all understand that beyond reading this book and having some comprehension of its truths, that more importantly, we don't just read about Jesus, but we experience Jesus. Amen. Amen. I believe that we need to experience him. And so sometimes what happens when you are teaching someone a Bible study who is absent from the experience, it can be quite testy because they're just trying to intellectually understand what you're saying about this or that, absent an experience. And so if you just take the experience out of almost any relationship, someone could demean that relationship to zero with just a few words. 
Amen. So to the man, someone could say, so you mean to tell me that you're going to get married and you're going to have to pay all her bills from this point forward? And someone could say to the lady, you mean to tell me that you're going to have to wash his clothes and cook his meals from this point forward? See what happens when you take the experience out? And you just write all these things down. If you were to kind of write all this out on a piece of paper, black and white, some people would probably change their mind. I'm going to have to mow the grass every Saturday. I'm going to to have to do what? When you take the experience out of the relationship, anyone can minimize it and brutalize it with just a few words. And so when, if, we, if we're not careful, we can, if we, without the experience of the Lord, we can just try to have an intellectual comprehension of the word of God and we can drive ourselves nutty in, that, in, that, in the pursuit of that. And sometimes on the other side of that, scripture kind of gets set to the side. The truth of the word of God. But the Bible talks about that we need the spirit and truth. But sometimes scripture can get set aside and when when we set aside the word of God and we begin to base their understanding on just of God on just a relationship with God and it is subjective to just sort of personal encounters and, and things that happen between them and the Lord, then we end up straying away from what the scripture teaches. And we are just have this mystical experience with the Lord. And I have met a lot of those people who do not want anything to do with the word of God. They just want an experience with God. Amen. And so it is all built on mysticism. It is just all built on, (laughs) I don't want to be unkind or bruise anybody's faith here tonight, but it's just built on shenanigans. And so I just feel a little spirit of boldness, so I'll just say it. It's built on foolish things like gold dust blowing out of air-conditioned vents. It's built on doctrines of oil just flowing out of a man's hand or oil flowing out of a Bible. It's built all on mysticism because there's no word there. Now, I believe that God can do anything. So I am not negating or downplaying the experience of God, but we need, oh, so desperately, we need the balance of both of those things. Because we could have the word of God without any experience. And oh, this would have been a a long night if we just did this without the presence of God and moving into the spirit of God in our praise and our worship. Amen, I do believe that God leads us. And I do believe that God speaks to us. And I believe that he reveals himself to us in many, many ways. But I believe that God will never contradict himself. He will never contradict his word. Amen. And I think something that we should very, very much understand is that the devil is perfectly capable of giving people spiritual experiences just like God. So we got to be very, very careful about just mystical relationships. I need the word of God as my foundation. Amen. So I have to always, I always have to judge my experience by the word of God. Another problem with with mysticism is that it can really end up in the lives of people developing a condescending attitude. 
to other people where they are in their walk with God. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm not being, I, I'm not promise you, no matter what it sounds like, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. But I've been doing this a long time and I've never had lunch with Jesus. Never one time. I've talked to him in prayer. I feel like God has laid some things on my heart. But I've seen some foolish things by way of television and things of that nature where people just sit down and act like they're just sitting down across the table. It's, I've seen scary situations, to be honest with you, where people are acting like they're just sitting down just talking to the Lord like just like me and Brother Wayne William just be sitting here talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It is not scriptural. Amen. God has spoken to man, but do you understand what I'm saying? And Man has spoken to God, but I don't believe that's the relationship that we have with the Lord. His ways are not our ways. God has spoken very plainly and very explicitly to me in times. But I'm going to tell you, for me personally, it has been blurbs. <laughs> and I have wished oh so much he would have just said a little bit more. Amen. And this people that can get into a mystical relationship with the Lord can become condescending and because other people... They are looked down on other people because they haven't had those same kind of experiences. But I want to just say this, and I want to hasten here a little bit. But if you've repented of your sins, and if you've been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave utterance, can I tell you that all you need is right there. Right there. That is the well. That is the source. I'm not saying that one single experience is all you need, but what I'm telling you is that everything like the acorn, everything an oak tree will ever need is in the acorn. Everything we will ever need is in that initial experience. Amen. And so what is really wrong is that many times we're not living up to the fulfillment of what God has given us. And so we don't write checks because we're afraid the money is not there. We don't speak it out because we're afraid that, 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 that God is not going to be God enough to back it up, not realizing that God has already made some heavenly deposits in our life. And that is the message of the new covenant. The message of the new covenant is that everything you will ever need is found in Jesus Christ. You need healing, it's in him. You need deliverance, it's in him. Amen. If we need the power of God to give us greater faith, it is in him. Everything we will ever need is already there. We have to learn how to step out and walk by faith. And finally, <coughs> we need to be set free from the spirit of self-denial. And so Paul speaks in verses 20 through 23. And again, I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, therefore, if you die with Christ from basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the Ten Commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, with the help of the Lord, I want to try to untangle that ball of yarn. Is that all right? Another example of... Uh, this is another example of twisting a wonderful principle. Self-denial. If we're not careful, we can elevate self-denial to where that becomes the mandatory 
And when you do that, you start having problems. And it can be the distortion of a wonderful principle. The good principle is this. I believe that as children of God, we should live disciplined lives. We really should. If we're going to be disciples, then we need to be disciplined. And there's a lot of Christians who are not who are not disciples because they absolutely refuse to be disciplined. They refuse to focus on the basics. And I want to just give you a few basics. I believe that as children of God, we should have a devotional time with God individually. We should have private time that we devote ourselves to God where we read the Word of God, where we study the Word of God. And there is a difference between reading it through our bread program and studying the Word of God and that we should have a time set aside where we pray. Amen. We should be disciplined in our devotion time. Time where we read and study the Word of God. Time where we pray. Amen. I believe that that there, there are people that refuse to give They're not going to give of their time. They're not going to give of their finances. They're not going to give of their talent. They're not going to give of their giftings. Amen. And when we refuse to do that, we are not being disciplined children of God. And there are those that refuse to serve. I'm too busy. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. We'll never be disillusioned that the people that are serving just have gobs of time. And the people that are giving just have gobs of money. Amen. don't, Don't ever misunderstand that. But if we are not careful, we can take these virtuous acts to the extreme and then put that same extreme on others. And when you do that, we start walking down a path of oppression. And that's what Paul is addressing. He talks about how it seems to be spiritual, but really, in fact, Paul said it has no power at all. And the reason why is because we cannot just physically do something and work our way into a relationship with God because it all has to start in our heart. It has to start in our heart. You can discipline yourself. You can pray. and You can fast. Amen. You can, you can uh, subject your body to certain things and your heart remain unchanged. All you got to do to fast is just stop eating. And there are a lot of people that that protest things by fasting. There's a phrase for that if somebody can think of it. Food strike. Is that right? Is that what you said? Food strike? Hunger strike. Hunger strike. And so there's nothing spiritual about that. They just stopped eating. (laughs) Right? And so we can just fast and we're just saying, I'm just denying myself. I'm denying myself. But if our heart is not in this... I'm just using that as an example. It's just a hunger strike. We're just, we're just doing something for show and, we're, and, 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 and our heart is not changed. And so our discipline has got to be the focus, our focus has got to be on the Lord and, and that enables us. And so the new covenant is about what happens on the inside and it begins to work then on the outside. And there is your difference. The old covenant, if we could boil it down, was just do this and don't ask any questions. The new covenant did not do away with that, 
The new covenant said, let God do something in your heart. And when God does something in your heart, it'll start changing something on the outside. Amen. You don't change the world by getting the world to live by certain rules. You change the world by having people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost one person at a time, just one person at a time, and they surrender and commit their lives to serving the Lord. You know what? If they really dedicate themselves, they're not going to live ungodly. It doesn't matter what the preacher's preaching. It doesn't matter what the singers are singing. Amen. If we are devoted to the Lord in our own relationship with him, we are just going to be compelled to live a godly life. Amen. Not because we're pressed by some outside force, but because there's something happening, there's something happening within us. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask our musicians maybe to come. And I will close with an illustration that I've used many, many times. But Isaiah 35 and 8, the Bible says, And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And so if we just pluck out, for example, this evening, the subject of holiness. And there are many other things I suppose we could throw into this mix. But I have always contended this, that if if we as a church or if I as a pastor and a leader can just get somebody on the right road in the right direction. That's the goal. Right road, right direction. They will ultimately arrive at the destination. Now, I've used a lot of times Interstate 75. But according to Google Maps, once a person crosses the Florida-Georgia line headed north, it is approximately 355 miles. It's 355.11 miles to the Tennessee line. If a vehicle averages 60 miles an hour, it should take you approximately six hours to make that journey and of course Atlanta is probably going to change that a little bit and so we're going to give a little room because there's going to be traffic and there's going to be accidents there's going to be a few things that happen along the way that we did not see coming you're going to crest a hill and see nothing but bright lights so we have given ourselves six hours but we know that there are some things that can happen and so if we're seven hours getting there or even sometimes eight hours we're going to be all right. but if if a week later we still haven't arrived there, something's wrong. We have misunderstood some directions. We've taken a wrong road. Somewhere we have a problem on our hands. Or it could be that somebody is just flat refusing to take the right path. What did we do before GPS? We relied on signs. That's what we did. Not voices. And so now we're, we're just, you know, turn around, turn around. <laughs> and, and no matter how many times you fail to turn around, she's so kind. She just stays kind. Turn around, turn around. We, we can refuse to take the right path. And when we refuse to take the right path, then we're never going to find what God has in store for us. Let's, let's stand
I think if I could just perhaps try to put this all in one little central thought, it would be this. That no matter who you are this evening, we can only live off the strength of the church so long. We can only live off the strength of others so long. At some point, we have to commit ourselves to the wonder and the word of God and just say, God, I'm just launching out. I am just trusting you. Amen. And you are where you are tonight because at some point you trusted him. You trusted him. Amen. And I pray that the Lord will help us to realize that we didn't, we're not here because we deserved God's grace. His grace is unmerited favor. We're here because of his extended hand that just keeps reaching. And he's reaching tonight. I'm thankful for a deep well. <laughs> I'm thankful for a deep well. Not long ago, we put in a new well here at the church. And, and um, I think I have these figures right. But a one horsepower, the same well, one horsepower motor will pump 25 or so gallons a minute. But we opted to go with a two-horsepower pump. We wanted to be able to do a few more things. So that's 35 gallons a minute. But in that same well, same casing, you can go all the way up to five-horsepower pump that pumps exponentially more water. Same well. Same size looking. The main difference is the price. <laughs> that's the main difference the man drilling the well is not saying man, I don't know if there's a supply there he's saying how much water do you want how many gallons a minute do you want because the source is there we just need to know how much you're willing to pay how much you need to get it there I feel the Holy Ghost in what we're talking about here tonight. We don't have to live below what God has for us. The source is there. The price. There's the difference. The price. It doesn't matter to the man selling the, to drilling the well. It doesn't really matter to the man selling the pump. They're going to put it on the end of the same pipe and they're going to stick it down to the same depth. The end result is what is really matters. Amen. Can we just worship the Lord? I, I just love what I feel here tonight. Let the Spirit of God strengthen us. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.